How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to a late evening edition of X-Lapse. This is episode 29, and uh, I feel like kind of an idiot. Um, <laughs> I've been sitting here with intermittent internet all day, and uh, worried that I wouldn't be able to record this until I realized that, uh, hey, I don't need to be online to record this. I can record this just on uh, Audacity. I don't need to be connected to any internet. So, uh, wasted a lot of the day waiting for the internet to come back up. Uh, Hopefully it'll stay up while I'm trying to uh, upload this uh, to the uh, channel, but uh, I guess we'll see. Now this is episode 29, and we're going to be discussing X-Force, volume 6, number 3, February 2020, cover date, and uh, we should hop right on in. The story is called The Skeleton Key, written by Benjamin Percy, with art by Joshua Kassara, colors by Guru EFX, letters VCs Joe Caramagna, uh, designs Tom Muller, Head of X is Hickman, Edits Robinson White Sobolski, $4 on sale December 11th, 2019. Now we open with a very purpley flashback showing us how those uh, Court of Owls doctors nipped and tucked from Domino's skin in order to build their assassin army. They see uh, Domino as an evolutionary skeleton key, hence the title of this very issue. Now, we see canisters full of folks, with a particular focus on a pair in the forefront. One looks like the uh, the young X-Men, either ink or tattoo, I don't remember what his name was, it was something like that. And the other one kind of looks like Colossus. Not sure if they're actually those characters, but I figured it's worth a mention nonetheless. From here, we jump to our roll call, and we got a lot of characters here. We got Wolverine, Kid Omega, Domino, Beast, Jean Grey, Sage, the Morlock Healer, Black Tom Cassidy, Magneto, and Professor X. So, uh, spoiler alert, I guess. Uh, uh, from here, we get the credits, yada, yada, yada. We resume in the present, and we're at that South Korean printing press where we left Wolverine and Kid Omega. Now, we rejoin them, and they're stood before Domino's canister, and, uh, you know, they're pretty ticked off. Uh, Wolverine ultimately cuts Domino free, but then one of those giants from Attack on Titan busts into the room to take the heroes out. Before we get more of that, though, we do shift scenes back to Krakoa. Jean Grey, Beast, and a newly online Cerebro helmet are walking toward the hatchery, having a very Percy-esque forced conversation. Beast wonders aloud a bit about the value of life and death anymore, uh, perhaps being the voice of a certain portion of the readership. Jean changes the subject and starts talking about her old family vacations, where the greys would stop at cemeteries and her folks would lounge in the shade of tall tombstones and she and her sister would hunt down the oldest graves in the, le- in the yard. What a, what, that's some fun family time, isn't it? That's, 
a little morbid. Uh, from here, we get a comment from Jean, wherein she says, quote, I've died more times than anyone can keep track of. Can we retire this already? I get that it's cute and it gets a cheap pop, but at this point, I swear Jean might have died the least out of any of the heavy hitters of the Marvel Universe. Uh, I mean, she's only really died twice, right? And died is in quotes, because the first time, she was just in a stasis cocoon at the bottom of Jamaica Bay. So, I mean, if we're still counting that, I guess we could say three times if we're counting the Mother Mold mission from Hoxpox. But still, I mean, I'm thinking since the time she's actually been gone at the end of the Morrison run till the time she came back, most of the Marvel pantheon of heroes have died more times than she ever died. So can we can we maybe stop this little, uh, little narrative here? Anyway, they arrive at the hatchery, and uh, then a certain bald gentleman is just about to be born. We hop back to Seoul, and Wolverine picks up Domino as he and Quentin flee from that giant mass of meat. Logan notices a collar around Domino's neck, and get this, it's of the power-dampening variety. It seems we uh, can't go an episode without some sort of mutant power-dampening device, right? Uh, Wolverine slices it off, which returns all their mutant powers to Flowin. Quentin manifests a big ol' psionic rocket launcher and blasts the beast in the belly. We jump from here to the healing gardens on Krakoa. Sage and the Morlock healer are still trying to monitor that final Wetworks character, and it's not looking all that promising. He's alive, but at this point he's in no position to talk. Kind of begs the question, didn't Gene already read his mind last issue? Eh. Oh, well, whatever the case, Sage and the healer leave the body in the gardens. Once they're gone, however, a hand covers the Wetworks guy's mouth and nose, suffocating him to death. Now, this hand looks a little bit plant-like to me, uh, so perhaps this is Black Tom, or maybe it's the island itself. We get an info page titled The Fifth Assassin, and it's pretty dull. From here, we jump to Magneto, who's who's preparing to give some sort of press conference in Washington Square Park, New York. Now, Black Tom is freaking out, like he seems to do quite a bit. Uh, The folks want to know if the rumors are true. They want to know if Xavier's really dead. They want to know if the Cerebro helmet is really kaput. How did this news even get out? Um, Did, like, Kitty blab it to a reporter while drunk? Maybe Quentin Quire tweeted it? I don't know. But it seems like this is uh, information I probably shouldn't be getting off the island. So, Magneto is just about to address the public about the recent happenings at Krakoa when he's interrupted by the man himself. Charles Francis Xavier is alive and well. From here we jump to an info page, because of course we do. This one's about the Cerebro Sword. Now, you remember last issue, Magneto shaped the shrapnel of the busted Cerebro helmet into a sword. So, uh, yeah, that's basically what this is all about. So how many swords are we up to at this point? I mean, we got the Cerebro Sword, right? Betsy wields a sword as Captain Britain. Quanon has her katana. Magic has her soul sword. I feel like I might be missing a couple or six, but uh, we're getting a lot of swords, ain't we? Uh, we jump back to Soul. Quentin Quire is using his powers to help Domino regain the functions of her depleted and dissected body parts. She comes around and is able to begin speaking lucidly once more. She reveals that she remembers a man. A man with a peacock tattoo. Just then, there's a big explosion. What the explosion was, I couldn't tell you, since this trio will be back on Krakoa in the very next panel. And so, we return to the point, which I'm assuming is on Krakoa. 
It's underneath a great rushing waterfall here. We join Xavier as he addresses Wolverine, Choir, Domino, Magneto, Beast, Jean, and Sage. They chat a bit about their new enemy before Xavier officially christens them as his X-Force. We get a, you know, a cute to me my X-Force line. The scene segues back to our Court of Owls, where they're talking about Xavier defunding various shadow agencies around the world. And turns out that members from all these agencies, Weapon X included, have come together in this strange, you know, eyes-wide-shut-looking group here. And they are called Zeno, or Zeno. X-E-N-O. However you want to pronounce that. That's what they are, and that's the issue. Next episode, we'll be wrapping up the number threes with everybody's favorite, Fallen Angels. But uh, first, let's talk about what we just read here. Got a lot of bebopping around this issue which uh, thankfully limited us to only one very forced bit of dialogue. Though, that scene was a doozy. Um, I tell you, I grew very tired of the all-new X-Men. You remember the uh, the Silver Ages that were brought to the present after Avengers vs. X-Men? But I swear right now I'd be down with swapping our beast for theirs. Um, I think we'll keep our gene, though. I think that's a, a good a good trade. Um, now, the conversation here felt predicated on getting to Jean joking about how often she died, which I feel kind of misses the point, and it also reinforces a narrative that doesn't quite hold as much water this side of the year 2000. I mean, sure, joke about Jean dying and coming back, well, back when comic book deaths meant a little bit more, right? But now, which character in the Marvel Universe has di- hasn't died at least twice? Right, and and even in the time Jean's been away since two thousand four or whatever, how many, how many characters in the Marvel universe, how many main movers and shakers in the Marvel universe haven't died? But I guess you got to get them retweets and retumbles or whatever. So you you play to the cheap seats here with these uh these uh you know way played out narratives. So that led to us getting Xavier back. So Xavier's back already, uh, but at least they didn't do it in the very next issue. That said, it still feels a little too soon, doesn't it? I mean, this uh, this is quick, <laughs> you know? I guess this is just the sort of thing we're in for right now. Um, so, honestly, I guess I can't be too mad at it for being what it's supposed to be. Though, now I have this, uh, this feeling. I can't shake the feeling that... Um, we just went through this death of Xavier bit just so Magneto could forge that Cerebro sword. I'm, I'd am i actually bet money on it, <laughs> though I suppose I could be mistaken. It just feels like a very roundabout way for us to get a Cerebro sword for an upcoming swords-themed event. Uh, now, the scene with Domino being rescued was fine. Uh, the meaty monster was just kind of there. Uh, as mentioned during the synopsis, he looked, or it, looked a lot like something out of Attack on Titan, so... Uh, at this point, we've got a Titan and an Evangelion unit in the Hox Pox Docs world, so I guess they're, uh, I guess they have their inspiration. Um, now, Domino, when she was rescued, was wearing a mutant power dampening collar. Can we please be a little bit more creative here? Um, this is starting to feel like if every villain in the DC universe started carrying around a chunk of kryptonite. It's not clever. It doesn't really feel like that much of a handicap for our heroes, and it's not upping the stakes in any real way. It's just played out. We've had two episodes in a row where we're discussing power dampening, and it feels like it feels like every other issue, somebody's powers are being dampened. It's 
let's let's be a little bit more creative. Um, overall, though, uh, for the most part, despite my nitpicking, I had a pretty good time with this issue. Um, our newly revealed, or at least newly named, threat of Zeno or Zeno. I'll, I'll withhold judgment for now. Uh, I'm, to be honest, I'm bracing to be bored, but I'm hopeful that I might be pleasantly surprised here. Uh, really, uh, you know, we bebopped around so much this issue that just isn't, there really isn't a whole heck of a lot to uh, to discuss. Um, I mean, that, that Wetworks character was snuffed out. We don't know who did it. Do we care? <laughs> I don't know that we do. Um... Because maybe it's Black Tom getting a little bit of retribution. Maybe it's Krakoa itself purging, you know, a non-mutant from the island. But it doesn't matter, does it? It really doesn't seem like it matters. Uh, Zeno, uh, they seem to be preparing to make their move anyway. So it doesn't matter whether or not Professor X and the gang know who they are. Because they're going to make their presence felt. That's basically how we ended the issue with them proclaiming that they're going to do what they have to do. Uh, the art here, let's talk about the art. Uh, first, the cover of this issue was is awesome. I love the cover of this issue. It's Jean Grey wearing um, the Cerebro helmet and with a whole bunch of swirly stuff around her. It looks really, really cool. I like it a lot. I've been looking forward to reading this issue just for the cover, really. I thought it was a, a very cool and very striking cover. Um, the stuff, you know, between the covers, though, I mean, this is the uh, darker art. Um very focused on things like the body horror and kind of goriness with the meaty bodies and stuff. Um, it does the job, but um, I, I shouldn't come at it away from pages wondering if I'm actually seeing the right character. Like, early on in this issue, I made a comment that one of the characters in a canister looked like Colossus. I shouldn't have to guess, right? Uh, that that should be pretty clear whether it is or not, or if it's just another Zeno character that uh, we aren't supposed to recognize. Um, you know me though; I, I search for things where they're not, <laughs> so that could be that could be it right there. Why uh, why I saw what I thought I saw, but uh, it gets the job done. Um, for the most part, it's very very good. Uh, but uh, and if you in a few scenes the. Uh, Maybe the intention doesn't quite uh, doesn't quite translate through the art. Um, speaking of you know dialogue and, and words, uh, we had that scene between Beast and Jean early on, which felt very very forced. Um, I would like to not read an issue of X Force where I'm where I have to make comment on that, but uh, I guess that's just where we are for now. Um, We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Other than that, I'd say that this is probably a weaker issue of X-Force, but a strong issue among the other number threes. So uh, <laughs> take that for what it's worth. Um, kind of damning with faint praise there, I suppose. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I got to say about X-Force number three. Uh, we do have a very brief mailbag segment that we will wrap up with. This is uh, from our friend Damien regarding Marauders number three. Now he says, a great issue of Marauders. Jerry Duggan is doing a great, a good job of showing how bad Shaw is. I joked in my feedback on Marauders number two that Shaw is a loser, but he actually gets creepier and creepier as this series continues. And yeah, you know, um, I really appreciated this issue because of its focus on Shaw. And uh, 
because you know if you just read issue two and then we just continued with the story without really a spotlight or a focus on Sebastian, you know we would just think he was kind of a neutered loser. Um, but here he's being depicted as a you know trying to at least be one move ahead of his opponent at all times, right? He's trying to find allies. He's you know positioning them in in places of power. He's poisoning their minds against their common enemies. It's all very good. It's all very good, and I look forward to a more uh, sinister side of Sebastian Shaw in upcoming issues here. Um, I hear that, I've, I've heard from Damien a few times, and I've heard from other people that Shaw, he's a bad man in these issues, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing that play out. Now, speaking of Sebastian, I'm not, I'm still not clear on his involvement, if any, in Shinobi cramming his own head into it, hand in his, into his face, right? But I'm guessing that'll probably eventually be revisited or resolved one way or another as we move along here. Um, we did see that Sebastian was there in the wake of Shinobi jamming his fingers into his face, but uh, I don't know. We don't know. I, I well, we don't know. I mean, other people know. I don't know <laughs> where that story even happened. So um, I'll leave that for something I'll learn later, or if anybody wants to chime in with exactly what went down, that'd be cool too. Uh, Back to Damien, he says, As for Shinobi, I remember reading his first appearance in X-Factor and being intrigued by him, but feeling like he was underused in the Upstart storyline, which felt more focused on Fenris and Fitzroy. It didn't help that the Upstart's first storyline killed the Hellions who I loved. Yeah, Shinobi was kind of jobbed out, right? (laughs) He was jobbed out of the Upstarts pretty much straight away. He was made to look like... Just like a, a privileged, snobby kid who didn't have what it took to actually play the game. You know, he was there because of who his father was and nothing more. Um, uh, Trevor Fitzroy, he took the crown, uh, you know, as it were, with his very first appearance. Um, after, as Damien mentions here, taking down the Hellions. Uh, he also thought that he'd taken out Emma Frost and Jean Grey that issue, too. This is back in Uncanny X-Men number 280. Two, 281, 282. <laughs> I think 281. Um, of course, uh, just about none of these deaths actually stuck. Not even Beef. You know, poor Beef didn't, <laughs> his death didn't even stick. Um, and you know, in the age of like mutant resurrectability, now might be like the best time, better, better time than ever to bring back the upstarts, right? Uh, because deaths don't really matter so much and you can keep racking up points. I mean, imagine the amount of points you'd get for killing Wolverine like a half dozen times, right? Uh, this could be a really interesting story in the making, or just something from my, you know, adult brain. Um, you know, if only Bill Jemis and his weirdo epic imprint were still around, maybe we'd get the answers to these questions. But uh, yeah, that's a uh, thank you so much for the uh, email, uh, Damien. And uh, I think this is this might actually be the shortest episode yet. Uh, just not a whole lot to say. A third part of what I'm assuming is going to be a six-part arc. <laughs> so it is a uh, middle chapter. So I don't know. Um, I'm finding the further we go, the more um, the the prophecies that I've been told are, are starting to make sense here. I was told by just about everyone who engaged early on during Hoxpox that uh, not to expect the the quality um, and the exceptional nature of those books to uh, to carry on through the ongoings and uh, I didn't want to believe it uh, but uh, here we are 
you know. Um, we're going to keep at it, though, of course. We're going to try to get un-X-lapsed as we work through this and uh, just hope for the best. Unfortunately, our next issue is Fallen Angels number three, so <laughs> hopes are not high. But, you know, that's when you're the most surprised. You know, when you have no hopes for something or when you have low expectations for something, you really can only go up, right? So fingers crossed that Fallen Angels number three is... Uh, Wows me in a way that the first two issues did not um, I'm not holding my breath But we'll uh, we'll be optimistic Now, if you'd like to get a hold of me You can do so at Ace Comics on Twitter Or at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com You can find all the show notes and stuff At chrisisoninfiniteearths.com Or xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com You can find us on Facebook at 90sxmen And you can find the complete audio archives Over at chrisandreggie.podbean.com uh, we're getting uh, we're getting out early today. We're we're getting out early for good behavior today. So uh, I want to thank you all for hanging out and reaching out and uh, sharing your time with me. Uh, it really really means a lot. So put a button on it right there. And until next time, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. Mm-hmm.